having a relationship with other investors, other builders, who's doing it now and how have they had success and work with them, partner with them. And that's my plan is to do that, to bring in those who've done it before so I can learn from their process and continue to understand the better ways to avoid making a lot of mistakes. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Surgeon Syndicate. We are here again with Michael Dawkins. If you didn't listen to the first half of this conversation, please go back, download it, and listen to it. Great discussion on how to get into doing some small scale development in a way that cash flows and doesn't require a ton of money up front. But today we're going to talk about flex buildings. Um, so welcome back, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm really you. excited about this part of the show because I'm here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and this is an industrial city. Um, so there are the big companies, the paper mills, the cardboard plant, but then all this other stuff that comes down off of that major industry. And a lot of these smaller ones, they could be looking for space from 100,000 square feet to 2,000 square feet. And a lot of this falls into what gets called flex space. So tell me more about what you're doing with flex buildings and why this is such a cool asset class. You know, first time I actually walked into a flex building, probably about seven or eight years ago, I realized that this is the most affordable commercial space that a small business can have. If you can't be in a flex space, you're in your garage, or quite frankly, you don't exist as a business. You're driving around in your truck. So to me, the variety of businesses and small businesses are the lifeblood of this country. And if you can have from bridal makeup to mechanics, to carpenters, to tile, I mean, to roofers, to people who just keep their cars. I've seen collectible cars. In my work in the fire marshal's office, we inspect businesses throughout the city. And it's just pretty much the strength of these folks are what make those flex buildings so valuable. So if I come to you and I'm like, Michael, listen, I'm a urologist. I just spent the last 10 years in school. I've barely been outside. Now I'm making some money and I want to invest it. What the heck is flex space? I have no idea. It means nothing to me. Right. How would you explain so, that? So the best way I could describe an actual flex building, usually they're going to be a metal building, sometimes a concrete tilt-up. Any building can have a man door, it's going to have an overhead door, and it's going to have non-load bearing walls inside. And I think that's the key. And that's what makes it flex. So if you imagine a warehouse space, usually like the metal, usually have some masonry in the front. And you walk in, it's a little office, usually they'll have their own little bathroom space, have a counter so they can greet the public. You go in through the door and you walk into a little warehouse space with an overhead door, usually 14 to 16 feet. And sometimes they'll have a mezzanine that goes like over the office for additional storage. The beauty of flex space is that, say, 1,500 square foot space, you can cut a hole for your forklift to go into the adjacent 1,500 square foot space. And now you are a 3,000 square foot building. So you'll have multiple from four to 10 in usually in a standard building, like a 10 to 20,000 square foot building. And 
the beauty of that is if that tenant moves out, you just repair the non-load bearing wall and you're back to two separate spaces again. So this is when I first saw these. To me, it, it looked a little bit more at the less fancy end, kind of like self-storage, except it was big doors. So doors almost like, well, now you see the RV storage buildings. So you've got a big roll-up door, a 16 or 18-foot door. But then next to it, you have the regular business door, what you call the man door. And so that goes into the office. And so this building is basically like a giant warehouse that's divvied up into smaller spaces. And maybe it's not a giant warehouse. Maybe it's only 6,000 square feet with three 2,000 square feet divisions. But each one has a little bit of office space and some warehouse space. Is that the way you see the flex space? That's exactly right. And it can go up to very high end. Like I said, concrete tilt up. It can be a class A. Sometimes they'll have like a double overhead door so you can drive through. A lot of them will have like fenced in areas in the back for storage for additional value add. In terms of price per square foot, the most efficient space that you can buy for industrial. And these can be, I've seen these where at one end you have, it's in the back of an industrial space and there's like a painter and a plumber and a welder and the whole area is like their spot where they come back from being out everywhere else. And it's just, they can look pretty rough, but you can have good businesses running out of them. They can be great. And at the other end, they can be street facing, as you said, beautiful, almost like class A retail. And some of those even have businesses in them, correct? Right. It is, that's to be flex. It can be pretty much whatever you want it as long as it's zoned. I've even seen where you'll have like a common paint booth. So it'd be multiple auto body, but one of them is a dedicated, they all share the costs and they put a paint booth that they all use. So they're all working together. And that's one thing I've noticed with flex buildings is it becomes a community. Most of the businesses know each other. They look out for each other. It's a different environment. It's surprising. They are all on the same page to protect their property. That's pretty cool. Do you ever look at it I've talked to some people who do this. They all seem much more sophisticated than I, but they cultivate that community because that way, if you've got five businesses that are all very symbiotic, if one were to leave, it becomes very valuable to a similar replacement business to move into that space. Is that something you've done or is it more that just kind of grows on its own from there? I think it's complementary. To your point, yeah, they want somebody who's going to complement what they're doing. If they bring in someone that's going to bring in the maybe perhaps the wrong clientele, they're going to discourage that. And you'll hear from the tenants. If the hair salon wants to move in between the welder and the paint shop, they might be like, hey. (laughs) Not complimentary. Not complimentary. Exactly. (laughs) It might work out, but they should know what's going on here. (laughs) Right. That's 100% right. Depends whose hair you're cutting, I guess. (laughs) There's no shortage of need for it. I mean, at least we're not close to that threshold yet. Are there certain parts of town you see them in or it really varies? Yeah, it's a very good point. used to be, like you say, it would be relegated back to an industrial part by the airport. It was dirty, kind of the grungy. But now you're recognizing that these spaces can operate closer to any kind of a hub anywhere where you're going to need access in between growing markets. Um, Municipalities are recognizing that this is an excellent tax base for them. 
Yeah, that's so they're popping up everywhere. There's a couple buildings within a mile of where I'm at now, and it's really interesting because when you drive by the front of them, they look like office buildings, and because they're very nice street facing, but then it becomes warehouse behind there, and there's full tractor trailer access. They've got multiple doors driveway that goes all the way around the buildings so it's a really easy turnaround when i first started hearing about flex space i was having a little trouble wrapping my head around it on this one i was like oh but those ones are big flex space but some of them like we were talking about maybe smaller where it's almost a place for where you go to the self-storage and you see like guys running lawn mowing businesses out of the self-storage and things like that this just gives them a little bigger space where now they don't have to unload the trailer into the self-storage. They can just pull straight in, improve their efficiency with some of those. Right. And they can legally operate because that way that flex space gives them a place to be. And you almost have to your point is you don't want to overbuild for your community because if you're building that class a flex building when it's a landscaping company it's overkill for them and it's going to hurt their bottom line right you want to make sure it fits your niche of clients customers yeah because i guess if, if you're a lawn mowing company and you don't really do any point of service at your office you don't need to pay for higher end street facing where maybe a plumber does they've got a showroom of sinks or tile and stuff and those are some of the variables so when you're looking at building these, because I learned something of this recently, I was talking to some other people and they're like, yeah, let's try and build some of this. And the building costs, at least right now, where we're at finding a builder, we were struggling. I said, wait a minute, I know these guys are in Wisconsin and they're a self-storage builder and they're dialed in and they build some big buildings. So I called them. I don't think I was the first one to ask them this question because they're like, no, our buildings aren't certified for occupancy they're just storage so there i learned something that i guess to have a building that people are in the building working is a different permit an occupancy permit versus a storage permit to be able to use it for that use 100 percent, yeah it's a day use as opposed to well everything's day use it's not overnight but still in the intent is the number of folks that can be in there working out of it to you, so you're not having the landscaping businesses in the self-storage. That's the intent is to okay. limit that. Now, when you're looking at building these or investing in them with somebody else, what is your decision-making process as if you were looking to buy one or build it from ground up, whether this is worth putting your money in? Number one is path of progress. Where are the communities growing? Because wherever the rooftops are, the businesses are going to follow because you're gonna need access to them. So I was talking to you about that property that recently acquired is in the industrial overlay or the growth boundary. Once you get that transition, then it becomes prime for something like a flex building because all the development around it, all the rooftops that are coming, those are all the service industry from the HVAC to the roofers, all those folks now need to be closer to, those are gonna pop up cottage industries around those rooftops. So flex buildings are the easiest way for those small businesses because they're mobile. They'll expand, they'll add another location, and they'll want to be close to a major highway or a major thoroughfare, and then those new communities that are growing. So that's so kind of my number of location-wise. 
Okay. So looking at the growing space now, as far as then we're in a growing part of town or a growing town, other factors you talked about being close to the highway or easy in and out. Correct. Yeah. Cause that's the number one thing is time for those businesses. Is it going to take them 15 minutes to get to the freeway or are they going to be five minutes or two minutes? Cause that's time for their crews to not be idle and they're going to be able to get to the job site quicker for supplies or any inventory. Okay. So this is another one that the process of building something like this, start with the engineers we were talking about with development in the last show. And they're probably somebody who could help tell you where would be a place you'd want to put it, where the city wants it, those types of things. Absolutely. I think having a relationship with other investors, other builders, who's doing it now and how have they had success and work with them, partner with them. And that's my plan is to do that, to bring in those who've done it before so I can learn from their process and continue to understand the better ways to avoid making a lot of mistakes or pitfalls. Each market is going to be different to whether it's worth. So that could be even something if you had a group of docs who said, okay, heard about this flex space. I see these going in. You could find some fellow friends, doctors who want to invest together and say, hey, let's do this. So now you've got, take some of your financial risk that you're not doing the whole thing, but then finding people who have already done this. Um, talk to an engineer, probably the engineers could tell you who's out there building in this space and who to talk to. If it's something you want to do it on your own. I do know a few people that are syndicating small warehouses and flex space. So that'll take a little more work to find people who are doing it. That's interesting because there's been a lot of interest in this space recently. It's funny, as I talk about seven, eight years ago, that was the beginning of my mission. That was my why for working in real estate. And you see it, the momentum starting to happen now where they recognize affordability of space. It all comes down to economics. When economically it makes sense, then it will be successful and will get momentum. Is that because these are cheaper to build because we've kind of taken some of the fancy out of the back end of the building versus the construction that's in some of the nicer retail spaces. Yeah, hundred percent. Small businesses are being hit just with the cost of fuel. If you have five dollars a gallon fuel here on the West Coast. So that's bottom line. And that you've got to pass that on. So if you can get a space that's gonna save you a thousand dollars a month, then you can offset your costs a little bit. And that's what this is the ultimate driver, I think, is why flex space is so popular. You can your own private space is affordable like so you're not operating out of your own garage all right this is awesome i'm going to transition this again now because i'm looking back through your bio and there's a couple of things we haven't talked about i want to get into one of your big things is you made this transition from civil servant to entrepreneur what was your biggest challenge there these are different worlds absolutely i think anybody who's a public service civil servant i mean that's what we do you serve people and the minute you walk out the door, you have to ask the question, who am I? What am I about now? Because you're in a different world. You're not interfacing with the public or on emergencies or in surgery every day. And you think, oh, whew, time freedom. But then your time freedom is a good time to look in the mirror and say, okay, so where do I go from here? And that has been a big part of my passion is to help people make that transition in terms of looking at what their first principles about who they are and what they really want to achieve. 
And that's easier said than done. So if this sounds like we're talking about a whole mindset thing here, what was your biggest challenge? Was it fear? Was it time management of getting through this transition? The number one factor that I faced was just uncertainty. That as an entrepreneur, your day is uncertain. You're waiting on jurisdictions. You're waiting on a planner. You're waiting on approvals. You're waiting on a builder. There's a lot of things that are up in the air that you're juggling, as opposed to if I'm at the firehouse and the bell goes off and we've got a house fire, you know, I know what to do. You take care of it. If you're in surgery, you go in, you take care of the problem, you walk away and you feel like you've done your job. Once you become an entrepreneur, the uncertainty of what is my purpose for today? What am I about? This doesn't happen, then what? So to establish those, they said the first principles of what your values and what your purpose is of the day and to set your schedule up and your life the way you want it, it takes a little bit of time. It's taken me some time to adjust, about six months actually. So when you're out there doing these new things, have you started working with investors on these projects or you're starting out on ones that you're financing and the cash flow so it all works on its own? Everything I've done up until this point has been independent. I've done it on my own. So then I see the next step is where you're actually going to be working with other investors some bigger projects. So that's what I've realized through my work, that that's where my goals are moving forward. So if a doc said, you know what, I don't want to quit my job. I like being a doctor, but I need some different investments. Mike, can you help me? I got some money. Can you put it to work? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can't, like if something I'm doing is not a project that meets those criteria, then there's going to be someone we can connect to. That's why in this world, it's actually a very small community, people that will help one another. It's big picture stuff. You know, that's a great question because that often when you're new to something and you're like, I'd like to not have all my money in the stock market. And then it's meeting people and kind of getting over those hurdles that if you're looking to invest with somebody and they don't ask you, and we've talked about this before, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish from this? That's kind of a red flag. It just leaves room, even if the deals go well, that you're not accomplishing your goals. I think that's if somebody says, nope, I just want my money to grow and I don't want to hear from you. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to write you a check. Yeah. You're going to build some flex building. You're going to sell it and you're going to send me back a bigger check. That's one approach. If somebody's like, no, 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 I want to know what's going on. I want to hear from you. Is that the way you work? That's a different mindset, a different person. Or no, I want to see some money coming in. That's part of what I have a hard time is just, I'll probably just reinvest it, but I like to see that check come in every month or every quarter. And those are such different things, depending on who you're investing with and what their business plan is, that having that discussion. So that's pretty cool. So for you, that's that next step. And the reason I ask this question, because I've heard doctors say, well, why should I invest with somebody if they're so good at this? Why do they need my money? Don't they just have money? So what does it mean to a developer to have investors? How does that change your business model and what you can do and how it benefits you and the investor to have them on board? I think it's opportunities. You need to understand the person across the table from you, first and foremost, and everything you do. If you understand what that person is wanting to do, what their values are and their mission, and that's on either side, the investor and the investee. 
once you have that common goals and understanding, then you realize that the opportunities are out there. Because in your field, as a surgeon, you guys are the experts. In me, in the fireside, that was my wheelhouse. But once you step out and you become what I like to see a lifelong learner, which is ultimately the goal for all of us, so that we continue to grow and continue to get better, then you step out to that someone who's doing something at a higher level. They may be 30 years your junior, but they're amazing at what they do. And you can just grow exponentially with them. I think it's kind of leaving your ego at the door, frankly, and realizing that there are some brilliant people out there that you want to be partnered with and work with. And everybody who's doing this, there are people who are doing it all on their own, but they don't grow as fast or they can't do as big a deals. And smaller people who are taking on investors are doing smaller deals. And then you move up the ladder to the big fish like BlackRock. They're getting billion-dollar investments from insurance companies and buying or building giant Amazon warehouses. They're not in the community flex space. (laughs) And I've heard some questions where they're like, well, why don't these guys or those guys? And it's like, everybody kind of has their niche. And once you're a a billion-dollar investment company or developer, you don't really care about a million dollar flex space in Portland. It's not worth time writing the check. And then you have the people in between those extremes all the way down. And so it's kind of the same process all the way through. And it depends where investor maybe is comfortable with their money. If you want to give it to BlackRock and know that you're in an Amazon warehouse, or if you want to find somebody locally that you know, and you can shake their hand, And you can go by and look at the building, touch it and say, I own a piece of this. There's something all the way across there for different people. 100%. There's one caveat I'd really give to surgeons, listen to this. Personally, I got burned by this. Is early on was the difference between investing and speculating. So if you're speculating that like if then, so you're going to invest in something hoping that this happens. And if it doesn't, then you have tremendous exposure. So that's the speculation. And that's what I think a lot of people think real estate investing is, a gamble. Let's hope that this happens and we're going to hit the big, as opposed to investing in something that makes sense. But the worst case scenario is something you can live with. And the upside is tremendous. And that's where somebody who has experience, somebody who can communicate what the mission is and what the product is, then that's a pretty darn safe investment. If your worst case scenario is still a win, that's all I'll shoot for. That is so awesome. That goes back to where you first started with your cash flow in episode one. You buy a one acre property with a house and a shop on it, and you can rent those out day one, but you've got the upside of developing and putting more properties on that same property. In the flex space, if you're buying an existing flex space, let's say it's got eight units, and when you buy it, six of them are full. And so it's cash flowing and it makes 10% a year. And you buy it with a 20-year fixed loan. So you're not worried about your rate changing. It's already cash flowing at a reasonable return the way it is. Then if you come in and you rent those other two units, or if it's below market rents and you can rent it for more, 
So there's your baseline is that 10%, but now you can add value to it. And that's value add real estate investing where maybe you can push that 10% to 15 or 20, or sometimes it's even more when you find something that's just been totally mispositioned in the market. It's like for people, if you found an apartment building, everybody knows somebody when they were growing up and they're like, oh man, I'm in college, I'm paying rent that's suffering. And you talk to your buddy and they're like, oh yeah, my rent's only $200 a month. And you're like, why? And they're like, I don't know. And this guy, and he just hasn't ever changed the rent. And for a million years and those properties are out there as apartment buildings as flex space as warehouse they're all over and those are the great things where you can have that safe return that's built in from day one but potential to have amazing returns absolutely one thing to talk about is the real estate is unlimited creativity in what you can see in something it is what it is until it's not Meaning that if you can find that value, the way to add additional units or different uses, it's unlimited. And I think that's why it's intriguing to people who are professionals who have found success in their field. But also, this is quite frankly, it's just a mental challenge in a different way. It challenges you personally to, to think outside your comfort zone and to be creative. And that's you can make awesome. some really good money doing that. <laughs> and so it's fun. People ask me like, well, if this is such a great idea, why hasn't somebody done it before? And what he thought about it? I mean, sometimes it's crazy. Just met Mike at this Invest Beyond Multifamily meeting, and now we're in a mastermind together. And the great thing about this mastermind is you take a group of people, they sit down once a week, and you look at properties. And every once in a while, as you go through it as a group, somebody's like, well, you should do that with it. And nobody out of a whole group of creative real estate people thought of it, but one Everybody's like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. You know, why hasn't that been done before? Nobody thought about it. And so just because the opportunity is there and somebody hasn't done it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. And I think that's where as docs, we sometimes get stuck and think that like everything's got to go through a five-year double-blinded placebo-controlled trial before it's a good idea. So Exactly. Yeah, you've got a lot of options. The simple rule is you work with people that you know, you like, and you trust. That's awesome. Let's wrap it up there. People you know, you like, and you trust. Michael Dawkins, thank you so much for being here. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to reach out and contact you? You can always email me at cafedoctor at gmail.com. It's cafedoctor, D-A-W-K-T-O-R, like my last name, Dawkins. All right. And we'll put your stuff for Instagram and LinkedIn and all that in the show notes. Thank you for being here. This has been some great value, I think, to our listeners. Join us again for the next episode of Surgeon Syndicate, guys. I appreciate everybody who's been listening to the show. The number of downloads have just blown my mind. So nothing but respect and thanks to everybody. Michael, thank you for being here today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. 
I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.